This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. Today I'm talking to Anna. About six years ago, Anna was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumour. It was removed and irradiated, and she survived. Today she tells us about the lessons she learned from having had brain cancer and the advice she wants to impart to us. So Anna, early on, did you have symptoms that, in retrospect, indicated that you had a malignant brain tumour? I did, but I didn't know that they were symptoms of the tumour. I I just thought and and agreed with my doctor at the time that they were atypical presentations of migraines. But um, I, I didn't specifically think of them as could be a brain tumour. So what made you start to wonder if perhaps it was more than just migraines? A very good friend of mine um, posted from Wellington posted on his Facebook that he was going in to have his brain tumour removed. I didn't even know he had one. And up until that point I'd been having very, very increasing in volume and in severity dizzy spells and the minute he, I read about his brain tumour I just thought that's what I've got and was going to go back and make an appointment to see my doctor So when you went to your doctor and explained what, you, what your symptoms were what diagnosis did she come up with? Well, the first doctor I went to basically blamed it on the fact that I was overweight. And she was a very, very tiny um, Asian woman who I think if I'd gone to her with a broken leg, she would have said it was because I was fat. Um, Nothing else seemed to enter into her her diagnostic process. And um, But then I, I, I got fed up with that sort of attitude and I went to a different doctor who was the one who diagnosed it as atypical migraine and gave me migraine tablets which alleviated the after symptoms of my dizzy spells and they just but they started increasing in volume and in severity and the second doctor I went to who's now my current GP she said if they don't stop or slow down soon we're going to have to look at other things because they shouldn't be going on this long and then just after she said that I had a grand mal seizure and got taken to the hospital So tell us a bit about the seizure that you had Well as I said I've been having dizzy spells for about a year but they weren't severe to start with there was like one every couple of weeks and just before the big seizure they were they were daily sometimes two or three times a day and it was frightening they they the dizzy spells were very frightening and then I was at morning tea at work and um 
went back to my desk after morning tea, sat down and said to my neighbour that, oh, I'm going to have Indian for lunch. And then I woke up about 20 minutes later, maybe longer, maybe 40 minutes later, in the back of an ambulance, pulling into the hospital saying I'm going to be sick. And then I must have passed out again because I don't remember the, the scan. And they're very noisy machines. And, um, yeah, so... And it was at the hospital you were told that you had a brain tumour? Yes. How did you tell people close to you, like your mother and your brother, that you had this brain tumour? I didn't tell them. My work rang my sister, who's my emergency contact, and um, she rang the rest of the family to tell them. I felt very bad for her having to pass on that information but she was saying because I was going into people can say what they like about New Zealand health system but when you need something urgently they get it done I went from having the seizure on Wednesday to being into surgery the following Wednesday so within a week and um, they told Megan this my sister and um, I just yeah they Mum was on holiday at the time because her husband had recently passed away and my brother had flown her to the UK to go on holiday just to relax. And then um, my sister rang and said, oh, by the way, your daughter's got cancer. And mum was like, I'll come home. It's like, why? You you can't do anything. Just relax. The doctors are doing everything they can. I'm having surgery. Um, you can't do anything. I, I want you to relax. I want you to calm down, enjoy your holiday as much as you can. I'll be fine. And that was pretty much it. That's a remarkable attitude, given that you were faced with the situ- with that situation, to be worrying about her rather than worrying about yourself. Well, at no time did anyone, but my oncologist and the people who dealt with me in the emergency room were all very calm, so I didn't feel a sort of implied panic, so I didn't think to panic. So what are the lessons that you've learned from having to confront a diagnosis like having a malignant brain tumour? Um, I learned three very valuable lessons. One is I stopped caring about other people's first world problems. Oh, you stubbed your toe, did you not? Don't care. Um, The second thing is I started doing things that made me feel good. I started getting my nails done and I started buying Lily Bloom handbags. I've got about 20 of them now. But they're all made from recycled plastic bottles and they're really, really colourful and got lots of pockets and I love them. And they're all limited edition designs. So I've got ones with elephants and ones with spots and ones with cats. And, oh, they're fantastic. <laughs> and the third and most important lesson was um, to outsource the jobs you don't like. I didn't want to be sitting at home feeling sick from chemo or feeling sick from radiation treatment and having to clean the house. And I also didn't want to be sick from chemo or sick from radiation and be sitting in a pit. So I got a cleaner. And it was the best decision I've ever made. I got rid of the cancer, keep the cleaner. <laughs> now, you describe an incident in the supermarket when 
shortly after being discharged from hospital, which illustrated your impatience with other people's first world problems. Yes, well, that was quite funny. My, my next-door neighbour, who was just an absolute darling throughout the whole thing, um, and she wakes up at the hospital, funnily enough, um, she was feeding my cat, which I was because I was really worried about my cat. And um, on the day I got out of hospital, I still had about 30 staples in the head and um, the iodine mark across my forehead where they'd cut into me because I didn't want to have a shower and rust. And um, so my neighbour, Glennis, uh, took me to the supermarket to pick up milk and bread and, you know, comfort food. And I only I didn't even get a basket. I just had about half a dozen items in my arms, got into a line behind another guy who had about half a dozen items. And one of and an old that he pulled in behind me with a full trolley. And... Um, the guy in front, something wasn't scanning properly. It took maybe an extra 20 seconds to get the scanner to work. But this old bitty behind me was just like, <gasps> so I, I just, I wasn't in the mood. I was just out of hospital looking like a Klingon. So I turned around to her, spun, spun around. She's staring at me, staring at my staples, staring at me, staring at the staples. And she turned around she got, and I just said, you know what, if this is the worst thing that happens to you today, count yourself lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. And then she just turned around and, and had the absolute gall to say to somebody with staples in their head that it's not the worst thing that's happened to her, actually. And um, am I allowed to swear here? Because I, I, I just turned around to her and said, "Well, if it's not the worst thing that happens to you, shut the f up," and turned back around. It was very cathartic. It was lovely telling this old bitty off because she was just sweating something that you know, an extra twenty seconds out of your day. You, you know, even if she was parked in the car park, it's not metered. <laughs> so talking about. So, telling people off did you ever go back to that initial doctor you had and tell her that in fact your headaches were not caused by you being overweight but your brain tumor no i didn't actually because i just thought she's not worth my time or my effort um she'll i spoke with my wallet and just didn't go back to that practice and got me to another practice and got a brilliant doctor who was quite willing to listen. And um, when the treatment that she diagnosed me with or with the, the, wasn't getting better, she was quite open to the fact that we might have to look for other things. Now, you mentioned that in addition to having surgery, you also had to have other treatments, radiation yeah. and chemo. Tell me a bit yeah. about those. Well, the radiation um, was quite funny because they, especially if, um, like I had a brain tumour, they have to make a mould of your face so that you don't move around during the, the radiation because it's quite precise. Um, and that was five days a week for six weeks. And I thought it was quite funny at the start because they... Cause they basically bolt you down to the machine so you can't move around 
And I thought, this is the start of every zombie movie I've ever seen. And um, I told the, the nurses, and they thought that was funny. I said, look, if you start, the zombies start coming in, just run in and lock the door behind you <laughs> and let me go. And, um, yeah, they, the, the nurses, the, the staff on the oncology ward were really lovely. Um, my oncologist was fantastic. His um, oncology nurse was wonderful. And every time I'd go in, I'd see Claire, who was the nurse, and she was she would just stop and say hello and have a wee chat. And um, oh, she was just wonderful. She had bright red, bright dyed red hair. And um, yeah, apparently I was one of the success stories, so that was nice to hear. And then you had to have chemo in addition to all that radiation. I did. I did. I had four rounds. Of, well, I had three rounds of chemo. I was scheduled for four, but after the second round of chemo, I started losing feeling in my fingers, and um, so they stopped the third round, and all the feeling came back in my fingers, and, and did the fourth round, and that's when I lost all the feeling in my toes. I've got it's called peripheral neuropathy. And basically, I've got permanent pins and needles in my toes. And, um, yeah, very cold in the winter. So that's a really negative outcome of the treatment. Were there any positive things about the treatment? Um, I couldn't believe what the Cancer Society did for people. you, You hear about the Cancer Society, but you don't really understand what they do until you need them Um, because there's certainly in Hamilton where I am they have a lodge where a lot of people live if they they find they're getting too bad they can't look after themselves Um, and the lodge takes them to and from the hospital and looks after things for them but I didn't need that but I did get um, a cancer society driver who get different drivers but I would book my radiation treatment for three in the afternoon after I'd finished work they would pick me up from work drive to the hospital wait for me then drive me home so I didn't have to sit on the bus to get to the hospital or the bus to get home every day when I was having the radiation Um, but just all the Cancer Society volunteers were amazing. I can't thank them enough. I can't tell you what great things they do because you just don't know until you need it. And there was a, there's also a run a program called a Look Good, Feel Better, which is basically you can go to a class and have your makeup and your hair done and all of this. But um, I wear makeup semi-annually and I, so I didn't take them up on that offer. I just thought the fact that it was offered to me was lovely um, Did you lose your hair? I did during radiation and um, what was really funny is my cat got a hold of she, she was obviously cleaning herself and got a piece of my hair and at that point my hair was halfway down my back so a very long piece of hair and I got home from work one day to see her out on the front lawn scooting along on her butt like a dog because cats can't digest here which is why they have fur balls and so she had got this a piece of my hair and um she was pooping and a bit of poop came out but didn't 
go away because it was attached to a piece of my hair that was still two feet inside her. And um, that happened a couple of times. And after the second time, I said, that's it, I'm shaving my head because I just, I couldn't do it to her anymore. And what have you done with your hair now after the treatment? I keep keep it, I, I, I get a number one at least once a month. Um, it's so easy to look after. Um, great opportunity to make jokes with people, you know, it sort of starts raining. It's oh, God, I'm not going to be able to do a thing with my hair. And um, the, the second time I went to the barber's shop, I had a hat on because it's quite cold with no hair. And um, there were a couple of guys in line ahead of me, or after me, actually, and I, I said to the barber, who I knew at this point, he goes, what are you having today? And I just, I said, oh, I think I'll have a perm and a, and a colour, thanks. And these guys behind me were just horrified that they might have to wait that long. And then I took my hat off and I was you know, practically bald. And so it was just a, a good laugh for everyone. Having been through what you've been through, do you now have any significant goals for the future? Um, same goals I've always had. I, I want to buy a house, preferably this year. Get, it'll be my first house. And I'm two months away from 50, so that's aspirational, but I'm getting there. I'm paying off debt and can use my KiwiSaver to get it and deposit, and that's what I'm currently working towards. And, and when... Sorry, carry on. When And when you were diagnosed with your brain tumour, you you were you were single. Have you, has it made you have any any inkling to couple up now? No, I don't share my space well. I, I learned that, and um, even when on my last round of chemo, my mum came up to help look after me. I didn't experience a lot of sickness with chemo except for once. Oh no, sorry, twice. I'd had a um, banana smoothie for breakfast once and about half an hour later that became a reverse banana smoothie. And um, I tell you what, throwing up a banana, anything, is absolutely hideous and I will never eat another banana in my life. And then about two days after the last round of chemo, I decided to go to um, the pictures because I wasn't working. And um, they... So I went to see Captain America Civil War. But because it was like the second day uh, that it was showing, the theatre was full. So they put me almost at the front. And um, there was a guy beside me who had his feet up on the barrier in front. And I started getting motion sickness from the the movie. And I knew I was going to be ill. And... um, so I begged this guy to move his feet. Can you please move? I'm going to be sick. Can you please move? He just thought it was a big joke. In hindsight, I probably just should have thrown up on him. But I'm glad I didn't because it stunk and was horrible because I'd just had a mascarpone and nectarine ice cream and um, just made it to the bin outside the theatre when this guy finally moved. I pushed past him, basically. And, yeah... It was horrible. I'll probably never eat another nectarine either. <laughs> so, 
So you've decided um, you'll continue living with just you and your cat. Yep. And, and in your new house when you get it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I want to get um, one of the... I've got fairly modest desires for a house. It uh, needs to have minimum of two bedrooms, bathroom that has a bathtub and a shower and a double garage. So even though I've only got one car, I want to put a pool table or snooker table in the other one because... That reminds me of my dad. We used to go and play pool and he taught us all to play pool and most importantly, neither of my brothers have got a pool table. <laughs> and to get them down from Auckland to Hamilton because I'd, I'd just start getting better than them. Now, since your diagnosis, have you changed your lifestyle significantly? Not significantly, no. I, I changed my lifestyle more when I had gallstones because I a lot of what I was eating was causing gallstone attacks which are very very painful and I wouldn't recommend them to anyone um, but no I, I didn't when I was going through treatment I didn't drink at all and I gave up cheese which are two of my favourite things of wine and cheese but I figured that I know myself and if I threw up on either of those I'd never want either of those again, and that would be the true tragedy. <laughs> so what do you attribute the fact that you've managed to survive what sounds like an absolute ordeal? Um, it, it wasn't really an ordeal. It, I felt normal. Um, when I got back to work, after I was off work after the surgery for two months, but when I got back to work... The hardest thing was I'd been taken off any complex work and put onto very low-level work, which is just by rote, and it makes for a very long day to spend eight hours doing jobs that take two minutes. When, it, when the walk to the printer is the longest part of a dealing, that makes it a very long day. Anna, thank you so much for telling us your story. Oh, my pleasure. And for reminding us of the key ways to enhance our life. And you're saying, no matter how long our life is, we shouldn't sweat the small stuff. We should do the things that bring us joy. And if we can, we should outsource those things that don't. Yes. I think that's, especially for somebody who's sick, if you don't like cleaning the house, which I don't, um, get a cleaner um, no, um, because that will just firstly it it makes you I used to go out for half an hour and come home and my house would be immaculate and that's a real joy to come home to a clean house and, um, I'm going to take that as an instruction thank you Anna <laughs> my pleasure you've been listening to The Final Curtain Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. Podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Café Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Café Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.